So I was raised Catholic, and we went to church quite a bit um, every Easter and every Christmas. I don't remember feeling or acting spiritual. I just remember being in attendance. Um, and that's kind of how it went until I graduated high school and then joined the military. Shortly after that, my life got to a really dark place. Uh, I was abusing alcohol and just partying. No, no direction, no vision. Um, and then it wasn't until uh, I got in trouble with the law that um, I started thinking, you know, I need to act more spiritual, more responsible. And the only place I knew that I could do that was probably back in church. Um, so that week when I was looking for uh, a place to go to church, I ran into Peter, uh, who, who was one of my coworkers, and he was reading the Bible in the shop. He had a lot of downtime. Um, so I approached him about it, and I asked him, I said, hey, you're, you're uh, reading the Bible. Are you a Christian? And he said yes. And, and so that struck up a whole conversation uh, just about God and Jesus and the cross and the Word of God and all that stuff, um, which I thought I knew a whole bunch about. And talking to him and hearing his questions and hearing the things he had to say, I, I found out that I didn't have a clue <laughs> as to what was going on as far as that was concerned. Uh, but here's this guy, you know, who's full of light and just uh, motivated by the Scripture, obviously had the Holy Spirit in him, um, and he's just sharing his faith and witnessing to me, and uh, I appreciated it a lot because he spoke into my life and was very encouraging, and it just caused me to have more questions uh, and want to know more, and um, I'm thankful for that because he could have easily just said, you know, hey, yeah, I'm studying my Bible, and please don't disturb me, or he could have just ignored me, um, so uh, it was good that he took the time to, to uh, speak with somebody who was a complete stranger in a completely different place than he was, so I appreciated that, that he would uh, eventually step out of his comfort zone and start to do things like pray for me and, you know, ask me what my needs were and things like that. Um, so eventually I invited myself to church and we went and it was awesome and he eventually led me to Christ um, and I became a believer. We actually, <laughs> we went out to a Christian bookstore that night and, and got a Bible and a t-shirt um, and then the following week he took me to a community group. I'm, I'm walking into that community group and I'm introducing myself, I'm saying, hey, I'm, I'm Everett and they're telling me, yeah, we know, uh, we've, we've been praying for you for months to get saved. So I just remember early on as a believer that prayer was, was very powerful and important and, and I appreciated all those people, Peter especially, because he, he knew, he knew what that, uh, what that phrase, uh, love your neighbor, meant. He knew that it wasn't just the people next door to you, he knew that it was in the workplace, at the coffee shop, you know, at the gym, um, to the ends of the earth. Good morning, everybody. I debated whether to share that video because um, Everett says a lot of nice things about me, but it's really about Jesus and how Jesus can lay hold of somebody and transform their life and then transform you into a witness. And really, that's what I'm going to be talking about today as we get into John. 
because this is what it's all about. It's all about seeing people come alive to Jesus. It's all about seeing people hear about Jesus and then watch the message of who He is transform them and bring them to spiritual life. And there's nothing more glorious than that. Every time I watch that video, I cry. And every time I sing about the truths that we've sung about today, I'm reminded there's, there's no better thing to be sharing with the world, right? We are evangelists for everything we care about, right? Your favorite movie, your favorite hobby, whatever it is that you really care about, you really get excited about, you really get like joy to the world about, right? You talk about. And so I'm just gripped by this text today in John chapter 4, and I'm reminded about what Jesus can do in a life. So when we come to this text, we're coming to something that's very deeply personal to me, and I think deeply core to the identity of every Christian. There's something inside of us, right, that we cannot help but share this great news. And maybe something's gotten dormant in your life when it comes to sharing and telling people about Jesus. Maybe fears have overcome things and you feel like, I feel incredibly discouraged and you're about to get up here and talk about evangelism and I'm about to feel horrible, right? But what I hope today happens is that God awakens something in you that you just can't help. It's like you're, you're like Jeremiah and the word of God's like fire in your bones and you can't help but let it out. Amen. So let's come before the Lord and remember the reality that we're just beggars showing another beggar where the food is. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this great opportunity, Lord, that we have every, every Sunday to come and worship, Lord, and to make much of you. Um, we did not seek you. We did not, uh, we weren't smart enough to figure out the gospel, Lord. Somebody had to bear witness to the truths of Christ to us, whether it was our parents, whether it was a stranger, whether it was a coworker. Lord, somebody had to tell us about Jesus, and that's the way you designed it. And so, Father, we thank you for the great privilege and the great hope and the great blessing and the great encouragement of gospel ministry. Lord, that that's part and parcel of what we are all about as being uh, people who have been called out of darkness into your marvelous light. We're called to her herald it. We're called to declare the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into the marvelous light. And so we just pray, Lord, that your spirit would come upon us. We want to hear from you. And so I pray, God, guard me from saying anything, Lord, that, that is going to hinder us from, from getting a fresh clear, spirit-filled, Christ-honoring look at this passage. And I pray that you would open our hearts, Lord, that, that we'd be ready to hear about the gospel afresh and that we'd be ready to hear about what it means to bear witness to the glory of the Savior of the world. We have great privileges as Christians and we have great responsibilities in this world. And so we just thank you that we can be caught up 
in the work of redemptive history. We can be caught up in the purposes of God. And for this day and age in which we live, it's a dark day, the light shines brightest. And so we pray that Your Spirit would blow and that You would bring this Word with unction. In Jesus' name, Amen. The first thing I learned as a Christian was to bear witness to Christ. That was the first thing that my pastor taught me. That was the first thing that the counselor who you know, uh, I shared uh, that I had gotten saved and started you know, telling the church about what the Lord was doing in my life. And they were like, just go, go share the gospel. Like, go tell somebody about Jesus. Go bear witness to the truth of who Jesus is and what He's done for you. Right? Go tell it on the mountain over the hills and everywhere that Jesus Christ is Lord, right? We, we don't sing that because it's not part of our DNA. We sing it because it's part of the DNA of Christianity, right? And as a new convert, that was just something that I could not help myself. I had to do it. And it's still a part of the way I think and the way I believe that the Scriptures depicts the Christian life. So... One of the reasons I wanted to play that video is to just get you in the world of a, a Marine who's in the military, 2001, and everybody around you is an unbeliever, right? I walked to work and nobody was a Christian, but like one dude. And I was so terrible to him that when I became a Christian and I told him about it, he was like scared. Like, like it was like the Apostle Paul getting saved and the whole church is like, wait, this dude is going to like, <laughs> you remember what he did? He's been throwing us into prison. Well, that's how this guy was with me. And then all of a sudden, it's just the two of us in a shop sharing the Lord with people. And I just remember encountering Everett, right? Like there was something going on, something profound in that place where the Spirit began to open up opportunities to share. And just through the reading of your Bible on breaks or an intentional conversation here or there, you know, all sorts of possibilities began to open up in the Marine Corps. And I wasn't one to be, right, I was a champion of immorality. And then God gets a hold of me, and I'm starting to talk about Jesus. And everybody knew who I was and what I was like. And I start thinking to myself, like, is that not what was going on in John 4, right? Is that not what we're coming into today? But a woman, she's just at a well. She's just getting water. She's went to this isolated, remote well so nobody can be around her. She doesn't want to draw any attention to herself. She's an outcast. She's immoral. She's in the middle of adultery. And Jesus walks up to her and says, give me a drink. And all of a sudden, they're talking about her spiritual thirst. Jesus moves it from his physical thirst to her spiritual thirst, and all of a sudden, he's testifying to her of who he is. 
And this woman is so hopeless, right? She's so hopeless. She feels the weight of sin and the weight of condemnation and the weight of alienation upon her. And Jesus walks up to her in her hopeless condition and shines hope into her life. And that's what I want us to realize what witnessing is. It comes from the word testimony, witness, or the word we get martyr, right? The idea is somebody bearing witness to a truth in a court of law to provide testimonies to substantiate something. So when we bear witness about Jesus or when he bears witness about himself, he is bearing witness to the truth. And it's a truth that people desperately need to hear. And so this woman encounters Jesus and it completely revolutionizes her life. He tells her her whole history. He shows her her heart. He moves on her with great power. Soul penetrating, know you down to the bone and the marrow. Knowledge. I want you to think about it. Like, if somebody knew you top to bottom, they knew your innermost person. They knew all of your dirt, everything that you are, all of your failures, and they looked at you with love and they held out hope to you. Imagine what that would do. Jesus is holding out hope as the witness of all witnesses. And then he takes this woman and he transforms her life to be a witness for him. So this passage in John 4 is about redemption. It's about bearing witness to redemption. It's about missions. It's about evangelism. It's about what happens when God's Spirit touches your heart, makes you alive, and then you begin to have a kind of new joy, a transforming joy, a soul-satisfying joy that's like bubbling up and you can't help but share it with the world around you. It's an echo of what would happen in the book of Acts as Jesus announces to His disciples that they're going to bear witness about Him to the ends of the earth. You remember Acts 1.8? This is the words of Jesus now. He's bearing witness to this woman in John 4, and He says to the disciples not long after this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. What's he saying to the church? He's saying, like, like, I'm not just the Savior of Jews, but I'm the Savior of the world. I can touch the life of a Samaritan outcast and totally restore her. I can transform somebody so broken, so battered, so disillusioned, so at the end of their rope. And I can also 
deal with the religious hypocrite. I can deal with the person who puts on the face. I can deal with the person who says, hey, I serve God. I give alms. I thank God that I'm not like that tax collector over there. And he could take somebody like Nicodemus and rebuke him. (laughs) Say, you're blind. You need to be born again if you're to be saved and enter the kingdom. And then before the Gospel of John is over, we find out Nicodemus gets saved because he's one of the ones that takes Jesus' body off the cross. Like, that's the gospel. That's what it does to people. That's who Jesus is. He can save you in your religious hypocrisy, and He can save you in your immorality, and He can save you in your hopelessness, and He can save you, and He knows you to the bottom, and He loves you. That's what we walk into when we walk into this passage. So I just want us to see three quick things from this text. The first thing that we're going to see is witness, and then we're going to see harvest, and then we're going to see the fruit of belief. So look with me at verse 27 of chapter 4, and let's read. Just then his disciples came back, and they marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, what do you seek, or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her jar and went into town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out of the town and they were coming to him. They were coming to Jesus. (laughs) Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you don't know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? And Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap for that which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered in to their labor. And then, verse 39 says, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of what? Because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans had came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. And they said to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. And this is just radical stuff, right? This woman's a mess. Jesus just says a few things to her and transforms her life, right? Like they have a 15, you know, 30 minute conversation and the woman's life is turned upside down for Jesus, right? She, She was headed for hell and now she's headed for heaven. She was headed for destruction. Now she's headed for life. She was headed for condemnation. Now she's headed for salvation. She was 
a complete outcast. Now she's an insider with Jesus, right? Like the king of the universe. She didn't have any joy. And now she's got the joy of the world. And so what's like her instinct, right? It's to be a witness. That's the first thing, right? The first thing that happens to her in this passage, once she meets Jesus and gets saved, is she becomes a witness. Look at it right there in verse 27 once again. Right? You see the disciples coming back. They're marveling that Jesus is talking with like, what's this? What's Jesus talking to this woman for? But no one dared say it, right? You're just going to think that. You're not going to say it. <laughs> what is he doing? Why is he talking to her? And so she leaves her water jar and she goes into the town and says to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And then they go out of the town and start coming to Jesus. I mean, like this is glorious because it's like Jesus. Have you ever thought like, why does Jesus send all the disciples away to get food? And why all of them? He could have sent a couple to go get some sandwiches, right? From Sychar, like go over to the deli in Sychar and be like, okay, let's get a few sandwiches and the rest will stay with me. Why does he send them all? Because they're prejudiced. They got the same prejudices that the Jews had. They don't like the Samaritans. Jesus wants this exclusive opportunity to bear witness to the glory of salvation to this woman. And so he arranges to meet with her in this moment to bring her to redemption. And then the very first thing he does is just kind of allow her to bear witness in a very natural, organic way, right? Like when you, get, when you get something glorious happening in your life, when you get something real, when you get something that touches you top to bottom and changes you forever, when you know you're headed to glory, when you know you've been gripped by God, when you know you have a personal relationship with the living God by faith in Jesus, and you got all sorts of clean coming inside of you because the Spirit of God is in you now and you've been forgiven of your sins and all this dirt of the past, is all this grime and stuff has been cleansed away. Man, like, like there's something going on that needs to be declared, right? Think about it for a second. If, imagine you were sick with cancer and there was an extraordinary treatment that you could get that could cure cancer and you go try that treatment you get cured would you not want to tell the whole world about it would you not want to tell your friends and your family that this thing that's eating you alive and completely destroying you you've been set free of You've, you've got rescue breaking in. And it would just be so instinctual, right? You found the cure for Alzheimer's. I'm going to be like, oh, let's put that under a basket. Nobody needs to know about that. You'd be shouting it at the rooftop. And the truth is we think backwards when it comes to evangelism. 
We're worried about how it's going to come off to them. And if they really knew, if they really knew what we're in touch with as Christians, what we're in touch with, and what salvation we have, they would be fired up if, if we didn't share with them. They'd be like, why are you withholding this from me? This glory, this greatness, this salvation, this rescue in my soul. Like I long for this down in my bones. And we see Jesus just leading straight out, right? He, the whole first part of this chapter is about him engaging this woman and being the first witness of the gospel to the Samaritans. Look back in verse 13 of the chapter. What's Jesus say to her? He says, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up into eternal life. What's Jesus doing there? Right? He's telling the woman how to sort her soul out. He's telling the woman where the rescue is going to come. He's telling the woman what she needs. He's, he's giving her a diagnosis of her thirst, and then he's saying, I'm the one you've been waiting for. Right? Verse 25, the woman needs to get a little bit more clarity on this. She says, the, the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ, and when he comes, he's going to tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I, who speak to you, am he. You see that? Like, he's bearing witness. He's, he's modeling this to us. He's modeling it to New Testament Christians. He's modeling it to people who are going to read the book, right? Like, this, this was written to the church. And this was written as an evangelistic uh, piece in and of itself. Like, this was meant to lead people to Christ. If you remember... The whole purpose of the gospel that John says, these things were written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing, you might have life in His name. So this witness is meant to bring new life. And Jesus is talking about His identity as the one who can bring it. And so she hears Him say, I am... I'm the one you're looking for. I'm the one who can rescue you. I'm the one who can deal with the core person of who you are and make you right with God. And it transforms her. We don't know exactly what moment and, and, and how long it took her to put this whole thing together. But by the time between this moment where Jesus is declaring himself to her and her dropping her water jar being like, I got to go to Samaria and tell some people about this. I gotta go tell my family. I gotta go tell my friends. I gotta go tell the people at the gate. I gotta go tell everybody what this guy who told me all that I ever did is all about. What has to happen to a person to produce that in the soul? Right? Sometimes we look at accounts like this 
and we think to ourselves, well, yeah, like she had like a pretty killer testimony, you know, like I'm, I'm rocking this testimony where I got saved when I was eight years old and uh, my dad, you know, was sharing the gospel with me. Okay, hold up. So God puts you in a Christian family. You've been evangelized to every single day your whole life and the Lord opens your eyes at eight years old. That's pretty awesome. Okay, I hope all sorts of kids have that testimony in this church, right? Like, I hope people start getting that testimony. I hope that that the, 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 the young children in our church are being raised up in those kind of ways. And the spirit of God is using people to testify to these truths. And in this body, every believer is a testimony to the reality of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So these kids start seeing you get sick and deal with struggles and trust the Lord. And it's bearing witness to the identity of Jesus. These, you know, children start seeing you uh, walking in bold ways for the kingdom and, and loving the scriptures and holding up the scriptures. And when you got problems, you're, you're in dialogue with what God says in his word. Like that's bearing witness. You don't have a boring testimony. You have a glorious testimony. Go tell it on the mountain. Right? Then some of you do have the woman at the well kind of testimony. That's my kind of testimony, right? That was Everett's testimony. Maybe some of you feel like, I made such a mess in my life. Somebody told me the gospel. Jesus broke in. And I just started telling people about it. Now what's... Strange is if we believe those things and we put a basket over the light, right? It means we have to awaken once again to what it means to be a Christian and what a miracle it is to be saved at all. Like you were on the road to hell, whether it was at eight years old or whether it was at 30 or 40 or whenever you got saved, and God made you alive. He, he, you got in touch with the creator of the universe. You know God. He's working in your life. He's answering countless prayers. He's, he's encouraging you through brothers and sisters in Christ. You're watching miracles happen. Like every Wednesday, we get to pray about things, and then we get to watch God work in miraculous ways. We get to watch God heal people. We get to watch God bring salvation into people's lives that we're praying for and stuff like that. It's like, that's like awesome. We get to be a part of what the Lord is doing and then go tell it on the mountain. Two reasons we don't. We're afraid, right? but I'm afraid of rejection. I'm afraid of what they might, they might get mad at me, right? Go back to the cancer thing, right? If you have the cure, you go into a person sick and riddled with cancer, right? What's the more loving thing to do? Put that, put that thing in your pocket and be like, I ain't telling you about that, right? Or tell them the cure. And what's this woman's method here, right? Verse 29, what's her method? Like, is this, is this like, you got to be a theologian to do this thing? Like, she is literally saying, come and see a man who told me all that I ever did. 
Can this be the Christ? So evangelism could look like this, right? Like Jesus has so changed my life. You should check out who he is. You should check out his claims. Come and see if this is legit. Like, come and see. Like, he's changed my life. This is my story. I just want to invite you to church. Or maybe hand them a book or hand them a track or, 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 or get them in a conversation uh, to, to talk more about these things, right? Like, come and see. This woman's not like, uh, you know, spouting a bunch of like high-level theology at people. She's just saying, Jesus changed me. Like, go see the man. Go check him out yourself. Right? I did not know what I was doing. Everett was one of the first people I ever shared the Lord with. Okay? I, I sat in my shop. I was reading my Bible. I was worried about all the same things you get worried about. Right? And then somebody went up to me <laughs> and asked me a question. Right? And ultimately, the idea was, I'm going to tell them what I know. So it's okay to tell people what you know. You're a Christian. You have the Holy Spirit inside you. Tell them what you know. Tell them John 3.16. Ask them for, if you can pray for them. But sometimes we let fear subdue us and beat us down and, 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 and hold us down. And then we get ashamed of this message. And we forget that. The Apostle Paul saying, <laughs> like the gospel is the power of God unto salvation for those who believe. So I'm not ashamed of the gospel, right? Because it's the power of God. And sometimes we just need to let the, the gospel loose in people's lives. You don't bring somebody into a court of law to bear a testimony about what they don't know, right? Like, you just share what you know. And that really frees you up. And if you don't know something, be like, you know, that's a good question. I'm going to check that out and get back to you. Right? We've spent several years in our Wednesday nights kind of learning how to share the gospel. And some of these things are just front burner realities that we get so comfortable. And you see the first instinct of a new believer is to go declare this newfound joy in their life. They just want to share it. I want to tell everybody about it. Then you've been a Christian for 20 years. I've been a Christian for 24 years. And so I understand how it, all of a sudden over time, you stop traveling in certain circles. You stop befriending people and you start getting a real tight knit circle. And all of a sudden it's like the witness of the gospel is dwindled in your life. But truth be told, she's going to tell the people in her sphere of influence, right? What do we see her doing in verse 28? So the woman left her jar and went away into the town and said to the people, she went back to her home. She went back to her people. She went back to her place. And she's the same woman. And you know what they thought about her? They thought what they used to think until she started coming, sharing a different testimony of a changed life. And she was just like, I'm unashamed to tell people that Jesus saved me. Right? 
One of the things that is so freeing about sharing the gospel is you're telling somebody else, listen, I know you're broken. Like, I know you're struggling. I know you've made a lot of poor choices in life. And I know that you don't understand even the purpose of why we're here. Like, why are we here? I know you're afraid of death. You know what I was too. And I didn't know how to fix myself. I didn't know how to fix my life. So I was filling it with all sorts of junk. This woman at the well, she kept trying man after man after man to provide security and hope and peace. And what does that get her? More of a mess. Right? And now it's all she can do, she's thinking, until Jesus walks on the scene. That's what you can do in people's life. Right? This is the word of Christ. This is the testimony of Christ. So when you share it with people, you're sharing what Jesus said to people in need. And listen, there might be some here today. Like you're here today, you're hurting, you're broken, you feel hopeless. You feel like, I'm not in touch with God. If I were to die today, if I were to face God, I would be judged. The Bible says that it's appointed for man to die once and then comes the judgment. It's appointed for man to die once and then comes the judgment. And so you face God and you feel just, I would not make it through. Because it's not our works, right? Ephesians 2 says that we're saved by grace through faith, not of ourselves, not of our works, lest we boast. Like your works will not get you there because you're not good enough. We're all broken. We've all violated God's laws. We've all lied, stolen, cheated. We've all fallen short. We've all failed to love God and neighbor well. And deep down in the core of who we are, we all know we're broken. And this message, this hope, this encouragement of this woman at this well is a reminder to anybody in this room and to all Christians that a person can be made new if they put their trust in Jesus. Right? Belief is that bookend of this whole passage. Verse 32. Many Samaritans, or sorry, verse 39. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. That's what testimonies are supposed to do. They're supposed to bring about faith. Testimonies about Jesus. So, when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with him. And he stayed two days. And many more believed because of the word, because of his word. And then they said to the woman, they're like, hey, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. This is the first time and the only time in the Gospel of John that we find these words. He's the Savior of the world. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world, He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. But here in this passage, we see the reality that Jesus is the Savior of both Jews and Gentiles. Jesus is not the Savior of one exclusive people, but a people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. 
So you can be any race, any ethnicity, any age, caught in any kind of transgression, and Jesus can deal with your heart. This woman is licentious. This woman is scandalous. This woman is an outcast. But Nicodemus is a religious hypocrite. The Apostle Paul is a religious terrorist. And all three of them get saved. And maybe you're somewhere in the middle, right? Because you can grow up in church and be lost. Right? If you don't know Jesus personally, if you haven't experienced the salvation of God breaking into your heart, if you haven't experienced a real redemptive relationship with Jesus, then the Bible says you're still in your sins. The Bible says you're still broken. The Bible says that Humpty Dumpty fell off the wall, right? And ultimately, you can't put yourself back together. But Jesus walks onto the scene and He takes this shattered woman and He makes her whole. And she goes out and tells it on the mountain. And God can do that for you. Now, we don't have time to get into all the center realities of this passage where Jesus starts talking about harvest, but I'm going to summarize it real quick by just showing you that verse 31 says the disciples were urging Jesus to eat and Jesus starts talking about some food, right? Like I got food y'all don't know about. And they're like, yeah, but you're hungry. Like Rabbi, just eat something, you know? He, he went to ask this woman for a drink, gave her spiritual life and living water, and then he never gets a drink. Then they're thinking he's hungry, and he's like, y'all don't know. I've got food that you don't know about, and my food is to do the will of my Father who sent me. My food is to do the will of God. My food is verse 34, right? My food is to do the will of Him who sent me and accomplish His work. And what's His work? It's verse 35, right? Do you not say that there are four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see the fields are white for harvest. Jesus is like, don't you see? You've got to look at Samaria right now. You've got to look at what's going on. You've got to look at what's happening with this woman. You've got to look where I'm sending her. You've got to look who's coming to me. You've got to look at this supernatural thing that's ripe and ready because of who I am. I'm a redeemer. I'm a savior. I'm king. I'm Lord. I'm the one who can break into your life and make you new. And so Jesus is laying hold of this reality that, that with His person, a new age is existing where redemption can come and hope can come and life can come and rescue can come to all peoples. And the labors that He had did in sowing this seed in this woman's heart is sprouting life. And now she's sowing seed and they're coming back to Jesus and He's making them alive. And there's a revival in Samaria. Glorious revival. And nobody thought it was possible. Jews went around Samaria because that place is nasty. You don't want to talk to these people. Because <laughs> we were a bunch of Jonahs. Right? What did Jonah do? God says, go to Nineveh. Jonah says, no. God <laughs> sends a fish to swallow him. And Jonah says, oh, okay, <laughs> I'll do it, right? But his heart didn't really want to do it. 
He didn't want them getting saved. And Jesus is reorienting his disciples. He's saying, you know what my food is? My food is seeing people get saved. My meal, my spiritual meal, my, the thing that satisfies my hunger, the thing that, that su my sustenance is seeing people be born again. Is that your, is that what's going on for you, right? Like, like what gets you going? Is it seeing people come alive to Jesus? Is it the thrill of being able to share the greatest news in all the world to broken, hurting people and watch Jesus light up people's lives? Listen, he's a real hope and a real rescue, and he breaks in. And you don't have to do it all. You might plant seeds. Others might reap. You might reap because others planted seeds. You might be in 10,000 different little parts of God's redemptive purposes in somebody's life. But if we are not gripped and summoned by this text to remember this is what God does in the soul of anybody who comes to know Him. You can't keep that a secret. Right? And deep down we all know we can't keep that a secret. And you know what motivates you? Is that this gospel is true. This gospel saves because this king is a savior and he knows our hearts and he knows us top to bottom. So in closing, maybe you're in here tonight or today, this morning. You're not right with the Lord. Something's disconnected between you and God and deep down, you know it. And you see this woman's life and how her life was changed. How she experienced forgiveness. How she experienced renewal. And you want that. But you got to own your sin. And you got to come to Him. Just like this woman did. Right? She admitted she was broken. And she came to Him for rescue. And then joy lit up her life. So let's pray. Father, we come to you now, Lord, we're reminded that Jesus brings the harvest in souls. Sometimes it takes time and then sometimes it just breaks in suddenly. And maybe there's some here today where they've been encouraged by the gospel of Jesus Christ. They recognize they're sinners. They recognize their need. They recognize that Jesus is speaking to them. This is just a simple message. It's just a simple word about how Jesus changed the life of this woman. Jesus changed the life of Everett. Jesus changes the life of any person who's come out of darkness into the marvelous light of God. So whatever we bring in today, whatever heaviness, whatever discouragement, whatever sin that separated us from God, Father, I pray that you would be bringing people into your glorious light, that you would be pulling people out of darkness. And maybe you're in here today and you realize you're in darkness and you want to get right with God. And I want to give you an opportunity to do that. If that's you, just slip your hand in the air and say, I, ultimately with your hand up, 
you're saying, I need this, right? No more running from God. You're, you're acknowledging, you're admitting, you're coming to the Savior. You're coming for rescue. You need His help. Maybe the, the Lord has been speaking to you about coming back to Him because you strayed and you need His grace. Maybe you just need to renew your resolve to share the Lord with a needy, broken world. I just encourage you to do that and acknowledge that before the Lord. Father, we just ask for your help right now. Lord, this is, this is glorious news. This is a wonderful testimony. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to remove the basket from our lamps and that we would shine bright in the world around us, in our spheres of influence, that we would have a boldness to share this gospel with the world. In Jesus' name, amen.